Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast. My name is Rijk van Niekerk and my guest today is Reinhard Roet. He is a fund manager at Investec and runs, amongst other things, the Investec Equity Fund. Reinhard, welcome to the show. We are indeed living in interesting times um, for markets and our South African political landscape. Uh, but what is currently keeping you awake at night? Oh, so, hi there, Rick. Um Look, I think there's certainly more than one thing keeping me awake. Um, I mean, the one thing is probably that equity markets have had a, a very good run. Um, I think it's far harder to be very bullish about risk assets, um, say, versus a couple of years ago. Um, and to some degree, that is reflected in the positioning of, of some of the multi-asset funds that I, that I co-manage. Um, you know, if I wind the clock back two, three years ago, um, we had um, a very heavy positioning um, in favor of kind of equity markets or risk assets. And today we are a lot more cautious. Um, you know, the earnings outlook looks a lot more fragile. Um, the ability of central banks to, to positively influence markets um, seem to be running out of steam, for example. And then, you know, I think currency markets are very interesting and it's had a profound impact on the behavior of certain asset classes and asset prices. Um, you know, we've been fortunate, I think like most of our competitors or peers in South Africa, to have had um, a, a very healthy exposure to kind of non, non-RAND assets or offshore assets, um, multi-asset funds in the local equity funds. We've had a fair amount of RAND hedges. And again, you look at kind of the RAND and the, and the immense depreciation of the last two years or so. And kind of, I just wonder whether whether that's likely to to continue at the same pace. And kind of, if it doesn't, what is what is the impact that it might have on 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 on, on some of the other assets like mm. commodities and ESA domestic stocks? So quite a lot of question marks. But the dialogue currently is is you know very skewed towards the health of the U.S. and the Chinese economies, um, and and you know very you know small pieces of economic um, you know reports or data or new indicators can move the market across the world. Um, Karat Lumpen of Sunlam Eintracht recently tweeted that he wishes uh, that things would calm down a bit and that companies could be valued according to their earnings expectations um, and not about uh, dodgy uh, economic forecasts. Is he right? Look, I think it is a good observation. I think um, you know the markets have become extremely sensitive to to um, to macro data, to what central bankers are saying, and that's because probably they've they've had some influence in terms of asset prices over the last couple of years. I mean, I've got some some sympathy for the view that you know had it not been for central bank in- intervention and you know immense amount of liquidity being injected in, into markets relative to history, whether it's the European Central Bank. Or um, you know the the, the Federal Reserve um, Bank of Japan, um, you know perhaps things would would be less sensitive to to macro events. But at the moment, yes, they are. And um, I find you know markets are very correlated. And certain, certain asset groupings are very correlated. You know the you know dollar weakness, for example, like like we've seen recently, has had an immense impact on kind of emerging market equities, on currencies. Um, Equities are very correlated, seems to, to to like the oil price even, you know, days when when the oil price are up five or ten percent, risk assets rally rally quite strongly. 
So it's just one of those periods where, you know, volatility is alive and well. It certainly increased a lot. And I think um, it was almost um, it was almost a little bit too easy the last couple of years in that volatility was quite low relative to history. And we just seem to be entering a period where things are going to be a little bit more choppy and a little bit more volatile. And, and I think it's going to remain like, like that for quite some time. So it's going to be a more difficult environment to manage other people's money um, because one, one, one will have to, to just manage this, this um, higher level of volatility going forward. An interesting um, piece of information that was made public uh, last week um, was the S&P Indices versus Active Scorecard um, published in the U.S. Um, and it suggests that South African fund managers um, you know, have a better chance of beating the index or their benchmarks than their European or American counterpart. But it still says that only on the long term, over five years, um, only 25% of fund managers actually beat the benchmarks. Uh, do you think that trend will continue? Look, I think there's, there's obviously been many studies done on this, and they all kind of confirm the same thing: is that you know, broadly speaking, especially after fees, you know, active managers as a as a collective group um, underperforms um, kind of the, the the passive indices. I mean, one has to say that you know, um, you know, the, if if one goes to the passive debate, you must remember that all passive funds charge a fee as well. So, so 100% of passive funds underperform the market. I mean, they they they, they all underperform the market because of because of the fee that they charge. Um, but there are some active managers that obviously perform very, very well and have kind of long, very established track records. And um, I think I've got some sympathy for the view that, you know, it's perhaps some markets are more efficient than others. Um, I think the U.S. market is is a very efficient market. That's why people struggle to to beat that. Um, you know, there are, are, are quarterly sales and trading updates information gets kind of disseminated very, very quickly and investors act um, very aggressively to that information. There's a higher degree of um, dynamic, say, algorithmic trading, um, whereas you don't find that really in kind of in kind of emerging markets and to a far lesser degree, for example, you're in the SA market. So maybe that is that is why SA fund managers have it a little bit easier to, to beat the market than US counterparts. I mean, Europe is an e- is an interesting one. I mean, we, we actually run a very good, very successful European strategy from our London office that has beaten the European market significantly over time. And we've often tried to internalize why that is. And I think it's because the, the US, the, the European market is a very diverse market. I mean, I think you've got European banks on the one side, there's a lot of commodities and resources, but there's also lots of kind of very good like consumer staple companies. So it's quite a rich hunting ground in order to generate alpha. Um, so I, I'm, 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 I'm surprised that you're saying, you know, quite a few people struggle to beat European markets. But, you know, there will always be managers that tend to, to be better stock pickers than, than others. Um, and yes, I mean, all managers go through a period of underperformance. I mean, even a five-year period is, is not that long. Um, but then again, the good mm. managers tend to churn out the alpha. If you look at the uh, investor base in, in uh, Investec funds, how many actually invest via financial advisors and how many... Uh, go directly or invest directly in in, in investec funds. Tricky question. I, I, I'm not quite sure 100% what the answer is. I mean, my colleagues that kind of run our retail business will, will will certainly give you a far more accurate but is answer. It, is it 50-50, 60-40? No, the, the the vast majority of funds comes via financial advisors. I mean, and, and it might be different for for other for other asset managers. But if I look at kind of just like the the normal equity unit trust that's that I that I co-manage, so kind of not not looking at kind of the the, the institutional assets, even in the in the retail. 
equity unit trust, um, the relationships that, that we have with, with large kind of um, retail buyers, financial advisors, or kind of building block type of buyers, specialist buyers, um, the, the, that, that, that kind of dominates the asset base. And actually quite a very, very few clients come actually directly to us via, um, via our platform. Well, it's one of the debates because that would take away one layer of costs um, in investments, the fee of the financial advisor. Sure, sure. But, you know, I think a lot of people do, do, do find that, you know, they, they find that the help and assistance and guidance they get from their, from their advisors to be very, very, very valuable, you know, because for the average investor, investing is a, is a, is a very scary thing. Um, and, you know, the average man on the street actually don't know how to go about it. So I think everyone plays a bit of a role in the, in the, in the like financial food chain, so to speak. But yes, you know, going, going direct and just cutting out the middleman is, is certainly the, the more fee or cost effective way, but it is quite a daunting task for the average person to, you know, to do. Another interesting um, piece of information um, that became available this week was that there seems to be a massive outflow of cash from South Africa to offshore markets. Um, this is data from, this, uh, from the Reserve Bank. Um, and it shows that there were net outflows of cash every single quarter since 2013. That is 16 consecutive quarters. And it seems like the pace uh, of these, um, you know, movement of cash offshore is accelerating. Are you seeing the same thing at Investec? Are your clients or your investors trying, you know, preferring offshore uh, investments to local ones? Yes, definitely. It's certainly a trend that we've experienced as well. If we look at the kind of just our retail fund fund range, the the funds that have taken most of the flows are kind of um, those those funds that are that are offshore, part of our global range. Um, and it's and it's as expected. You know, I think a lot of South Africans are are concerned about domestic economic conditions, about the political situation, what's going to happen. There's a lot of uncertainty. Um, the rand has has moved significantly, and I would go so far to say that. That it's actually now um, that that we are seeing the the greatest desire to go for for clients to go offshore because they look at their statements in rand terms, and it didn't really matter whether whether you were invested in offshore equities or offshore cash or offshore bonds as long as it was offshore and and in some kind of developed market currency, um, not not an emerging market currency like um, the Russian ruble or the Turkish lira. You would look at your statement and say, yes, this is a fantastic return and. Um, we found that especially in the in the retail market, um, investors do tend to move relatively late. Um, so it's not to say that you know this this trend can't can't continue, but it's certainly a trend that's very powerful at the moment. And I think on balance, a lot of a lot of investors want to move out of the country now. Any time will tell whether it's the right decision to do it now versus if you look at what kind of we did in our multi-asset funds and in fact most of our competitors or peers in SA as well um, a lot of the a lot of the, the good kind of multi-asset or balance managers had had large offshore exposure um, or non-rand exposure almost to the maximum amount or already a yeah. couple of years ago but is that the right strategy a lot of the retail investors would do that only to hedge against a weaker rand not so much expecting, you know, alpha or higher growth than you would get on the local market. Do people understand there are also risks in the international market and that the, the currency risk is maybe not um, only downward? Yes, exactly. You know, that is certainly the way we, we feel at the moment. Um, I mean, at this stage, I 
I personally feel that it, it is certainly a lot more riskier to say I want I want 100% off, offshore exposure because I actually had, had a conversation with a with a with a very good friend of mine that asked me this exact question about a week ago. I said and, he, and it went something like you know I do have money to to invest. Um, do I do I go 100% offshore now? And I said to him you know had you asked me. Two three years ago, the answer would have been far easier to actually say yes, go go and go and do it. Um, but you know, if you look at offshore valuations, um, just like an SA, you know, uh, valuations are kind of also more expensive than what they used to be. Um, in you could argue that fundamentals are better because we, we we have a bit of a growth problem here in SA um, that's unlikely to go away anytime soon. So we do find actually offshore markets is a better, it's kind of a richer hunting ground for opportunities if you look at company fundamentals. But, you know, there are periods when, you know, the currency strengthens um, and and you might just find, you know, that maybe, you know, the, 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 the rand has moved so much that maybe the, the rate of depreciation going forward is, is unlikely to be as, as great as what it's been historically, even though I've got sympathy for the view that maybe the rand could be structurally weak over time. But I would say probably one should not expect the same, say, tailwind um, that the weaker currency gave your offshore investments going forward than like it's been historically. Um, Investec also recently launched a new international fund, the Investec Worldwide Flexible Fund. Is there still room for another fund? I read that there are more than 2,000 funds already in the market. Um, uh, Investec has a fair number of funds. Uh, why a new fund, number one? And number two, what do you ex- expect to achieve with this uh, flexible fund? A very good question. There are a lot of funds out there, and Investec certainly has a, a broad suite of funds. Um, but if you look at our fund range, we have so either predominantly local funds on the one side, so only funds that invest in RAND assets, and then we have funds that that are that are 100% offshore, offshore equity funds, offshore bond funds, offshore multi-asset funds. Um, the flexible fund is, is somewhere in the middle, um, and the way I would I would explain it, or the easiest way to explain it. Is we see it as an as an extension of a typical Regulation 28 compliant balance fund or multi-asset fund. So if you look at the SA market, most investors utilise balanced or multi-asset funds as a savings vehicle, but um, it is it is it is regulated. You, know, you can only have 25% offshore, um, and and with that comes um, you know a couple of imp- a couple of imp- um, say implications in that because you have to have 75% in rands, you unlock likely to actually in that in that offshore component to for 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 the average balance manager to invest too aggressively for example in other emerging markets because otherwise you will be doubling up on emerging market risk given that SA itself is an emerging market. The other constraint is is that um, you know you can only have seventy five percent in in say equities but there are times when you when you might want kind of more. You might want ninety percent and there clearly there are times where you when kind of you want far less. So this is really a fund that tailored for South African clients. Um, it's not a global fund that, that we'll be selling globally to other clients, but it's, it's a type of fund where, where we try and take you know, the difficult questions away from the client in that we will make the currency call on their behalf. We will decide, do we want to be 70% invested in offshore assets or do we only want to be mm. 20% invested in offshore assets? Do we want to have half the currency in RAND or do we want to have 
80% of the currency in rands because we think the rand is, is kind of oversold or if the rand is or, or our view over time that you know the rand will, will weaken significantly we will have a, a, like a healthy exposure in terms of non-rand exposure so it's a completely flexible mandate but it's kind of falls somewhere in between our global range and our local range how long does it take to establish a fund what has the reaction been in in the you know the few months that it has been uh, you know available Look, look, it's only been available since this month, um, so which is only a couple of a couple of days. It's up and running. Um, it, it takes a long time to to launch a fund because you know certainly what 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 we do here in Investec, we 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 kind of give it a lot of thought. We we think you know is it the prudent time to launch it? Um, what are we trying to achieve with it? How can we manage it? Who should run it? Um, so so this has been something that's been in the making for I would say I I kind of have been involved in like the process for, for for the best part of almost two years so that gives you the, the like an idea of kind of how long it takes for, for us to do it um, because with a flexible mandate you know you, you're starting with a blank sheet of paper um, and and that in itself brings a little bit of risk so one has to be very clearly defined what you're trying to to achieve um, with it and, and we've thought long and hard about it um, you know what a worldwide flexible fund for us of African client really should be and and again to, to us it's a it's a multi-asset fund it's not it's not a hundred percent equity fund um, it's got the objective of long-term capital growth but given that we have you know more opportunity for for diversification than for example a typical regulation 28 compliant balance fund um, we should be able to construct a more efficient portfolio and with that um, one should be able to actually deliver for example slightly higher returns than than our Reg 28 yeah. compliant funds at a similar level of risk looking at the investor Equity fund, uh, this is one of the flagship funds you manage. It has performed well in, in the short term and medium term, but I just want to focus quickly on NASPAS is the biggest shareholding, was the company that represents the biggest shareholding, a pretty big 14.6%. Why the magnitude of that investment in NASPAS and aren't you not concerned that it may pose a bit of a risk? Look, uh, it's a very good question. We, we we certainly ask ourselves that internally quite often. Um, look, if you look at the history of the positioning, I mean, we we typically don't have more than more than ten percent in a particular fund. But obviously, the the, the stock has done so well, um, and with growth over time, it is it is kind of crept crept up to the position that you see at the moment. Quite interesting, interestingly enough, given that Nasdaq is now by far the biggest stock in the market, um, if you look at the weight that Nasdaq has in the shareholder weighted index or the all share index. Index, um, one could actually say that we are we are we are underweight the index, but you know we're not closet index managers. We don't start with the index and then take take kind of bets on, on kind of either side. We construct the portfolio just in absolute terms. Um, so I mean we we're still very comfortable with the outlook for Nasdaq. We think it's one of the few businesses on the exchange that that has multiple years of growth ahead of it. And you know the, I, I I would go so far to say that you know it's 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 not as as cheap as what it's used to be and it's always a difficult stock for value managers to get their heads around but um, if I look at Nuspers today um, you know you're basically just buying the Tencent business and we really like the growth prospects of Tencent we think you know they are they are transitioning from essentially a gaming company 
uh, started obviously mm. in PC gaming and then went on to mobile gaming. Um, they're transitioning into 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 almost more of an advertising business in time, and that's that's kind of the Facebook model. So if you look at Facebook today, almost eighty yeah. percent of revenue comes from advertising. Um, we don't know if Tencent will get there, but we think a large part will come from advertising, which is not in the price. And then you get all of the other non-Tencent assets is is is, is mm. not valued whatsoever. So one could actually make a bit of a value argument. So we quite like it. Just lastly, um, what are you currently buying on the JSC and what are you selling? <laughs> well, I can't tell you exactly, but um, what, what, I, what I will say is that um, we are, we, we've made significant changes to, um, to the holdings in the equity fund over the last um, couple of months. Um, I mean, market conditions have changed quite a bit. You know, some things that have, where, where it's been almost like one-way traffic not to have had any, any commodities and resources, which, which, which was the positioning we actually had in place um, for most part of 2014 and 2015. Um, I would go so far to say that we think it's quite risky not to have um, any exposure to, to resources at the moment. So, so we don't have you know, a significant amount, but you'll see in the top 10, for example, a share, a share like Anglo Gold. And below the top 10, we've, we've got shares like Glencore and Billiton. And those have all been kind of re- recent additions because you know, the, the, the shares have, done, uh, have really performed poorly. And um, we're just asking the question whether it's still, still so, so prudent to have nothing. And we think the answer is no. Um, and then, you know, the sales have been rather more stock specific. You know, it's been on, on the banking side of things where we've been say, invested in a, in a stock like First Rand for seven or eight years. It's kind of been one of the top holdings across our funds, and 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 like you don't find it in our in our in our top ten anymore. Um, we think a lot of a large part of that investment thesis has played out. Um, and then some of the Rand hedges that's been great to own. It's been one way traffic with the Rand weakening so much. Um, we, we we're struggling to find. Uh, um, the compelling investment opportunities there compared to a couple of a couple of years ago. So we're slightly more sector neutral now than what we've been before. But what is absent in the top ten uh, are companies like uh, Richemont, SAB, Sasol, um, mm-hmm. companies that really performed well uh, since uh, you know for the last few years, but uh, have been sold down because of the extreme valuations. Yeah, I think you know. It comes up to the point. You know, uh, we we have done quite well. Um, I mean, the equity fund is one of the the better performing funds in the in its category, um, and 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 that's been done without any kind of off offshore exposure. The fund has, has had no no offshore exposure during during this time, so it's been a hundred percent SA invested fund. But uh, uh, we're just a bit concerned that perhaps the winners of of yesteryear might not be the winners of of tomorrow. I think that the positioning among fund managers in some instances have become incredibly consensus. You know, the the the, the anti resources trade, the pro um, ran hedge trade. Um, I think I think to run the same exposure to the extent what we've had the last two three years is is perhaps not the prudent way going forward. Thank you, Reinhard. That was Reinhard Ruet, a fund manager at Investec.